So, a key um, verse in Scripture for me, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not the best Bible memory guy, but there's a key verse that comes up, especially for me uh, at this time of year, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Some of you might know it, but be, who knows the next word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, what the world seems to say you should be and do and where you should go, but be transformed. Now, as we go into 2015, really, you can't have screwed this year up too much yet because it's really, it's what, the 10th or 11th? I mean, it can't be that bad yet. The hope here is we're going to use this, this is like an underlying verse for the next eight weeks together. This series that we're undertaking called Groundwork. Really, and that's why, why we asked Jim to get us this, some of this stuff for us. This, in a sense, is an area under construction. As Christ followers, you are called to be a person under construction. You are not complete in your transformation. You may be complete. In, uh, we mess this up as Christians, right? We think, well, everything that has been done for me, Christ has achieved everything for me. I, don't, I, don't, I can stand before God holy and righteous. That's true. But everything God wants to do in your life is not complete. You are people, you and I, until the day we die, are people under construction by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're leaving this up here, this mess up here, because this is who we are. We're a people under construction. And that's, that's what this series is all about. Not just conforming anymore. In other words, don't just let others decide for you. Don't let your boss or society tell you what you should be doing. How you should live. What you should become. Don't just conform to the desires of other people. What they have for you. What they told you you should do. But instead, be transformed by changing your mind. Now, we have um, strategy meetings with the staff every Tuesday morning at 9. And for several years now, I've been talking to the staff <coughs> about doing a series um, on transformation, on change. And, and if you go into my office, you'll see there's a whiteboard. And we, we lay the year out on the whiteboard. And we're always changing the whiteboard. And there's been this title of a series up there for uh, two or three years now called Body, Mind, and Spirit or Body, Mind, Soul. Because I, I felt like God kept... kept saying, in a sense, to me, take the church through, through powerful principles of change. So we had this title up there, but, you know, it, we, we just kept pushing it off. For one reason or another, we hadn't come across, in a sense, the right, what we felt like was the right material for it. So I've been compiling resources and source material for it for years, but this past um, summer, when I was laying out the year, I remember specifically where I was. I was sitting at a Starbucks in Mansfield outside on their picnic table, and you know, thinking, laying out the year, and just sitting there with my headphones on and my pen. And I came across some material um, that was being marketed to churches, uh, a church, what's called a church-wide series. Now, if you're in the church business, which most of you are not, um, we get the church marketing machine is really strong. Um, you don't get this, but I get, Steve knows this, right? We get, you know, Connie, Children's Ministry, we get stuff marketed to us like you can't believe. Uh, hundreds of things a year that we should take our church through, our children through, our small groups through. Um, it just comes. It comes via email. It comes in the, in the direct, direct mail. And oftentimes, you look at it and you go, well, this looks like it could be pretty good. And you order it, and inevitably, it is terrible. Almost inevitably. Um, rarely do we get something where we go, this is good. We rarely use kind of 
church-wide series here. But as I was sitting at that Starbucks in August, I, 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 was, I came across this um, package called Transform. How to walk your people in your church through transformation in seven key areas of their lives. I thought, boy, that sounds like body, mind, soul. That sounds like what I wanted to talk about. And uh, as I looked into it, I, I said, well, I'm going to get this material and look at it. And I got it, and I looked at it, and you know what? It wasn't that good. <laughs> um, in fact, we were going we to give it to our small groups, but we didn't think it was good enough to give to our small groups. But uh, what it did do, though, for my Tuesday meeting, uh, morning meetings was it gave us a framework for starting body, mind, soul, in a sense. And, and that's why we came up with this concept of groundwork, kind of laying the groundwork. We, we liked these seven key principles that, that this information talked about. And so, so that's what we're going to be doing over these, these next seven weeks after today. We're going to be going through how to transform key areas in your life, laying ideas out for you and working, working through it. So this morning we launched Groundwork, and it's simply doing what Romans stated, in a sense, hopefully moving us from being conformed to being transformed. And we're going to try to do it in seven key areas. What are the seven key areas? Your spiritual health, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, relational health, financial health, and vocational health. It's pretty comprehensive. Now, um, if, if, you're, if you've been around the church long enough, maybe you might be the kind of person that has adopted the religion of the day. I go to Guatemala and they ask me for strategic advice on the American church. And I, I say to the folks in Guatemala, let me explain to you the current religion of the day in America. It's not Catholicism, it's, it's not Protestantism, it's cynicism, Right? We don't believe anything works anymore. We look for poor motive in all things. So maybe if you've lived long enough like I have, you're sitting here this morning, you're going, really? You really think you're going to have any impact in people's lives uh, over seven weeks, one-hour sessions? You know, you know half the people are going to miss it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I could adopt a cynical approach to this, but I can't. I'm giving my life to it. And I, I really do believe in change. But I also understand the limited nature of one hour on a Sunday morning. So to address the limited nature, ushers, I need an usher to go back there. Maybe, Renee, you can help them with this because you know where those things are. These guys are going to hand out to you books. Our staff, we have just this incredible staff that has created, in a sense, a book. Because what we understand is you are not going to be transformed by sitting here for an hour every Sunday. So what we want to do instead is give you something to work through this entire series with. So they're going to be passing around as soon as they get their hands on them. Books, hopefully, we have record numbers of people here today, so it's going to be interesting to see if we have enough. If we don't, we will have more printed next week for you. But uh, they're going to be handing out a book that is going to be a resource for you this entire seven weeks. We want you to bring it back with you every week. And, it, it, and it, this week, chapter one is in there because that's what we're doing. Next week when you come in, we'll give you chapter two. Now, let me go over as I hand out these to you. Groundwork for this new series. Groundwork for ground rules. If you, let's see, as Christ followers, you don't have the option on giving up and believing in change. You can become cynical. But that's going to lead you nowhere. As those, those of us that would claim the name of Christ that say we believe, Jesus is a change agent. Jesus has come to ransom you, to, 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 to take you, to steal you away, to transform you. Don't give up on change. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to use different things to push this message deeper into our hearts. And this book is going to help us do that. Now, let's go through the ground rules for this series, the seven upcoming weeks. Rule number one, 
Because I know when I get up here, the only thing that assuages my, um, I don't know, my depression sometimes, when I get up here every week, some of you are even asleep before I get up here on a Sunday morning. So the only thing that makes me feel better is I know I didn't do it to you, that it was a Saturday night that did it to you. But what we're going to do, not kind of ground rule number one, is every week you are going to be presented with sermon notes. Fill in the blank sermon notes, because I want you to engage your mind, not just your ears, but your mind. I want you to, to write these things out. I want you to, to be engaged in the talk, to be thinking about it in this hour. And in a sense, using more than just your auditory muscles, but using some other muscles. So number one, you're going to engage with Sunday teachings through these notes. That's why you need a pen this morning, to fill these out as we go through them. Number two, the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. It's only seven weeks now. Seven weeks. You, anybody can do anything for seven weeks. Number two. I'm going to ask you, now I would like, I know you guys are already getting up at the crack of dawn every morning to go through your 45-minute devotionals. I know that about all of you. I know, you're not. Some of you are, but I know our lives. I know what they're like. So here's what I am going to ask of you. I have, I, I'm writing these devotions for you every week. I'm sitting around the library writing devotions. Um, maybe this is my new calling. I don't know. You'll be the judge of them, I guess, but... I'm going to ask you to engage in three to four 10-minute quiet times, 10-minute moments of reflection. And each week there will be three to four devotions written by John asking you to engage in this material so that it's not just, you know, kind of a hit thing on Sunday and we're on to the next topic on, on next Sunday. I'm going to ask you to engage in it, to wrestle with it. I'm trying to write these devotions at deep levels. The fourth one this week, like I got done with it, and I'm like, man, I don't even want to answer these questions myself. That's why it's the fourth one. But these take 10 minutes. Now, I know what we want to do. I taught Sunday school upstairs. The kids do it, and I know we do it, which is, well, I'm really busy, but I want to be authentic to John. So what I'm going to do is I'll get up an hour early on Sunday, and I'll do all four of them, <laughs> right? That's not going to really drive the change we're looking for. What we really want to do is get you thinking about this on a regular basis during the week on each of these seven areas, okay? So, so that's number two. You'll see those devotions in there. Ten minutes, three to four times a week. Put it on your calendar, schedule it, do it. Number three. Number three is this. I am going to ask you to memorize eight applicable to these situations kind of Bible verses that cover these areas. So if nothing else, this is getting... What, what does the scripture say? I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When I became a Christian, the first thing I got handed was a navigator's Bible memorization kit. I don't know if anybody remembers those things. And there were these little cards. You never see them anymore. And, and I understand why kind of Bible memory has gone out of vogue. A lot of the reason it did was because uh, people just, they, they focused so much on Bible memory that they, they lost the purpose of it. They lost God in, in, in knowledge. The scripture says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so what we did was a church, not just our church, but a lot of churches, we've kind of thrown scripture memorization out like the baby with the bathwater. Scripture memorization is key. If we get, I mean, I'm not a great scripture memory guy, but the verses I know come up in my heart and my mind all the time. So I'm, I'm going to pick a verse every week that's going to cover this topic. I'm going to put it in your book, and I'm going to ask you to memorize it. One, one or two sentences. They won't be long chapters, but just get it into your heart. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car. Put it on your desk at work, whatever, so you get this concept into your heart. And last but not least, last but not least is this. We are going to ask you to set a personal goal to set a personal goal in seven key life areas, the ones I talked about, 
over this series, a goal in each of those areas about how you want to be transformed, how you want to no longer conform, but how you want to be transformed in these seven key areas. Now, number four, I'm going to be very honest with you. This is the key. This is, in that material we got, the best part of the material that we got, the one that we're probably using, I'm not sure where we're going with the rest of, uh, of the other ones, but this was really good teaching. I'm going to be using a lot of it this morning in today's message. If, you, if you're a Christian, you've been around the church for a long time, you've probably gone to Sunday morning services and taken some notes. You've probably done some, some quiet times and devotions. You've probably uh, memorized some Bible verses. Has anybody told you you should be setting goals in your life? Nobody ever told me that. Maybe the greatest single key to transformation in your life is that you have not set goals for transformation in your life. The goals, the, the goals are what unlock this whole thing. They are the key to the whole process. So that's what I want to talk to you about today, is this concept of goals and why we have to set goals in our personal lives. That God desires that you do this. So, the notes are there for you. We're going to go through them this morning. I want you to follow along. I want you to fill them in. We're going to go over right now six reasons. Six reasons for you to set personal goals. Nobody, I had never heard this material before, and I've been blown away by it. So I, 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 you can learn right along with me. Number one, the number one reason that you and I should be setting goals, especially as we launch into 2015 and desire to change, goal setting is my biblical responsibility. Goal setting is my biblical responsibility. Now think about God for a moment. Even if you would say, I'm not sure I buy into the whole Jesus thing, you have an image of God in your mind. Do you picture God just kind of aimlessly wandering in the heavens just kind of wondering what's coming next for him. No direction, no plans, no goals. Just kind of a heavenly couch potato guy floating on a, on a cloud, looking down at humanity like he's watching a movie. See, nobody does. See, God has goals. He, God has goals for his kingdom. God has goals for the universe. God has goals for eternity and, and for his creation. God has goals for his people. God has goals for you. When Joan was first pregnant with Courtney, I went out and uh, went to the Christian bookstore and I had this picture. I couldn't wait to buy it for my wife when she was pregnant. And when she got pregnant, I went right to the bookstore and bought it. It was a lot of money at the time. We didn't have a lot of money. But it's this picture of a woman standing in front of a window in her nightgown and she's holding a little baby. And it's got this verse on it. Many of you know it. Where God says... Don't you know? You know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, God has plans for your life. He has goals for you. Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, especially in that three-year time of ministry that's recorded in the Bible, do we see Jesus just walking around randomly, purposelessly, just letting life come at him? Now, the truth is, in fact, over and over again, you see Jesus laying out what it is he's going to do, where it is he's going to go, where it is he's sending people to. Jesus didn't walk randomly. How about Paul, who writes most of the New Testament? Check out what Paul says. Man, I love this in Philippians 3. Check this out. Paul says, 
I don't mean that I've already, I am already as God wants me to be. That's us. Because Paul understood. Listen, if Paul understood his life was a construction zone, you and I need to understand our lives are a construction zone. We're not where we're supposed to be yet. He says, I don't mean that I'm already as God wants me to be. I have not reached that goal. But I continue trying to reach it and to make it mine. Why? Because Christ wants me to do that which is the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not reached, yet reached that goal, but there's one thing I do, forgetting the past and straining toward what's ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ to the life above. Listen, church, all of us who are spiritually mature should think this way too. Paul who wrote most of the New Testament that we devote ourselves to, had goals for his life. It's important to set goals for your life because it is a biblical responsibility. Now, if you get to be my age, you start to know this about your life. You are either going through life, aiming at a target, trying to, straining towards something, as Paul would say, or you're drifting. You're drifting. Getting up, going to work, coming home, watching TV. There's, there's no goal for your life. If you set goals and aim for them, there's a very good chance you might achieve them or come close to them. If you don't set goals and you drift, you're moving too. You see, nobody's sitting still. If you don't set goals, you are moving, except your movement is not controlled by you. It's set by the current in which you find yourself swimming. You wind up being conformed to everybody else's expectations. Everybody else's desires, they're placed on you. They wind up setting the goals for your life. What Paul called conforming to the world and its goals. In other words, if you don't have goals for your life, if you don't have direction and purpose for something that you're moving towards, you are allowing other people to decide your destiny for you. To choose your ends rather than choosing them yourselves. You've abdicated responsibility for your life over to somebody else. And see, the world is taking you somewhere. The scriptures say that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. There is something in, in the culture, there's something afoot in all of creation that is, just by being alive, that we are floating in this river. We are moving along somewhere. We are being conformed to something. And here's the deal. It is not, the tide is not pushing you towards God. It is pushing you away from God. Unless you choose a different goal, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world, which will take you away from God. Without goals, you are not living. You're just reacting. Without goals, you've allowed yourself to be ruled by others. See, setting goals in your life is a spiritual discipline. Setting goals in your life is a spiritual discipline. Paul says, if you're mature, you have to think this way. Don't just check out and let life happen. Number two. Number two, goals grow and stretch my faith. Goals grow and stretch my faith. Now, as I was reflecting on this one, I thought to myself, I don't think that's true. If you're like me, how in the world, you know, how could a goal be a statement of my faith? How could a goal stretch my faith? Here's the answer. If you don't understand this one, if you don't see that goals are stretching your face, then you, faith, then you have never set the right kind of goals. 
Here's my problem. I don't know if it's yours. Every goal I have ever set for myself in part has been one that I am perfectly capable of achieving on my own. Every January I say, I'm going to have a six-pack stomach when I hit the beach in July. I've yet to achieve it. However, it's possible. I could do it. There's no faith required there. Frankly, the goals aren't all that outlandish I've ever set for myself. They're not all that grand. Every goal I've ever set for myself just required some more focus, some more energy, some hard work, maybe a little accountability, and I could achieve it. And that might be great. But listen to me, church. That might be great. But that's not great for a guy who stands up front and talks about how big his God is, who walks through life with really small goals. Ephesians 3.20, the message puts this great. God can do anything, you know? Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And how does he do it? He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Now, if God really can do anything, even more than I can imagine, and I can imagine some pretty big things, why is it that in the history of every goal I ever set in my life, I've never set a goal that might allow him to show me that? Why have I, through all my life, set my goals so low that they're perfectly achievable on my own? See, setting goals that require no faith is another spiritual problem for me and maybe for you. How do you, you know, you might be looking up here this morning and saying, how is that guy so, so muscled up and cut up? And if you are, the answer is simply the resistance training that I should be doing that I'm not. If you want to build muscle, you do resistance training. You don't pick up light things, you pick up heavy things. And you do that time and time again. How about the muscle of faith for those of us who follow God? Is it possible? This is a great question. I should have put this in the devotion. Is it possible the reason you and I, especially in North America, the reason you and I have so few experiences with God, so few stories to tell people about how how God has been active in our life, the reason you you and I have so little faith is that essentially we live godless lives led by godless goals. And so in our life, we've created no space, we've had no belief, we've allowed no room for him to do all these incredible things that he says he's looking to do in and through you, but you and I never set a goal that would even require God to be involved in it. We put the name Christian on ourselves, but we live secular lives with secular goals, goals I can achieve perfectly on my own. Now hear me on this. I'm not saying to set unrealistic, ridiculous goals like I want to be the center fielder on the New York Mets. I probably could be the center fielder on the New York Mets. But, you know, I I want to be the center fielder on the New York Yankees, right? I'm saying, why don't we... I said this to the elders yesterday. I said, guys, why don't we set some goals that we might actually have to rely on God to come through for us? Why is it every goal we ever set, it's just about us working harder or doing more? Why don't we set some goals where, yes, they're a little out of our reach. We might have to work towards them. We do all we could. But, but in a sense, we're believing that God is going to intervene. Because you know what that does? You know what happens when you start to set goals that might force you to rely on God? You know what it makes you do? Rely on God. And you start to pray a little more. You start to believe a little more. 
You start to search a little more for God. It puts us back in the position we were created to be in. It's a theological thing. The reason that we never set goals that we need God to come through for is then we wouldn't be God anymore. We like it when we're God. Set some goals that are outside of your reach and allow God his place in your life so that he's God and you're in reliance on him. Sitting in a staff meeting this week, I've been going through this material and it's really been teaching me. And uh, I said, to, I said to, the, to the elders, we achieved a lot of goals last year. We need to set some bigger goals because we achieved all of our goals last year. And we need to set some bigger goals, some goals that God might bless. I was sitting with the staff this, me- this week and I said, you know what we need to do? We need to get this foyer built this year. And they all looked at me like I was out of my mind. It'll take six months to get through here. It'll take a year and a half to raise the funds. It'll take... I said, why don't we just say, with God's help, we're getting this thing built by the end of this year, and we're going to do everything we can to get it built, and we're going to rely and trust on God. You know what? Then we might pray about it. Then we might ask God to do something about it. Right? This is where God shows up in your life. When we start making these goals that are outside of our, our ability to achieve, the bigger your goal, the more your faith is going to be stretched. And faith, please, without faith, it is impossible to please God, the scripture says. Perhaps, better put, show me the size of your goal and I will show you the size of your God. Somebody came to you and said, show me your goals, and they looked at them. How big would they see your God as being? Or would they say, you must be God because you can achieve every one of them on your own? So over these coming seven weeks, I'm going to ask you to set some faith-stretching goals and see what happens to your faith. Don't shortchange what God can do. Great things in you and through you. Dream bigger, church. Don't cheat yourself. Number three, God, or excuse me, goals bring purpose and focus to my life. Goals bring purpose and focus to my life. Goals keep you from I from wasting our lives, our days, our hours, our time, and our money. I could preach a whole sermon on this. The world is set up to be full of distractions for you. The job, the sports, the internet, social media. I spent about two hours yesterday playing trivia crack on my phone. I will confess. I'm very good at it, though, mind you. Don't challenge me. I don't need to be spending any more time on my phone. But I get so diverted so easy. So many of us can waste away day after day, which turns into year after year, watching baseball. The great, this is me, the great American pastime. And life just comes at us with distractions. And, and next thing you know, life is over. The truth is, if we would focus on what it really is that we say is important to us. Oh, John, you know, if I was going to list my priorities for you, I would tell you, well, it's family. Well, first it's God, and then it's family. If I said to you, really, show me what your goals are for God and your family. I was just kind of floating there. See, goals will bring purpose and focus to your life. A life unfocused has very little power. Think about light, right? Right now I'm in the lights. They're not doing anything to me. We go out in the sun. There's light outside. Light diffused doesn't have a lot of power. Light focused cuts steel. A life with no purpose, with no focus, floats. A life focused changes worlds. Look what Paul said. I love this. I think this is your memory verse in the book we gave you this morning. I fight like a boxer who's hitting something, not just the air. You ever feel like you're spending your life just swinging at the air? Paul said, this one thing I do, this focus of mine, forgetting what's behind, pressing on towards what's ahead. 
Setting goals will help you to do inevitably what each of us have to do in our lives. If you feel like Joan and I say sometimes at our house, life is so out of control, you're getting pulled in 20 directions. The kids, the emails, the texts, the PTA, the job, the retirement, driving here, running there. Setting goals will help you to do what you and I have been avoiding for so long, which is sitting down and prioritizing some things in my life and letting some things actually go. If you don't do these things, your life loses focus and purpose. You float. Now, I'm going to give you my favorite one. I, this one. This one was such a revelation to me. It's been inspiring me all week. Hopefully, it will you. Goals, number four. Goals inspire and lift me. See, goals are a, setting goals for your life. This is a spiritual discipline now. You and I, let me, this, this is, people in the hall were all talking about this after the first service. You once were very good at goals. Maybe they weren't goals, maybe they were expectations. But you were once very good at, at having expectations and, and crossing them off the list and achieving them. And I'm going to show you, we've done this before, but I'm going to show you how I know this. Because all of you were 17 once and you grew up in North America. My son Caleb here is here in the front row. Poor Caleb, he uses an example in the first service, so I'm going to use him again. Caleb is 17, he's a junior in high school. He's got all kinds of goals right now. Let's go through Caleb's goals, because you all know what they are. We'll leave the girl parts out of it. Caleb is 17, he's a junior in high school. What's his first goal? <laughs> we'll leave wrestling out of it, too. Number one, he wants to graduate high school. What's his next goal? College, what's his next goal? Career job, what's the next goal? Married, I heard somebody say. What's the next goal? House, what's the next goal? Kids, what's the next goal? That's the funny part. I was thinking about it all week. It's as if we've been duped by, we've been conformed to the pattern of the world. When I was 17, I sprung out of bed in the morning. I had all of life ahead of me. I had all these things I was going to do and accomplish and achieve. And it somehow I did and accomplished and I achieved all of them by the time I was 30 years old. And what do I do now? Everybody was talking about this after the first service out in the hall. Like, I haven't had a goal since I was 17 years old because I knocked them all off my list. That leaves, when we live like this, this leaves a 40-year gap in our lives. We get depressed. We get discouraged. Look what Job, Job had everything coming against him. He lost everything. His friends were telling him to curse, to curse God and walk away from God. And I love this. Look at the wisdom of Job in, in 6.11. Job said this, I don't have the strength to endure this. Why doesn't he have the strength to endure because I don't have a goal that encourages me to carry on. Listen to me, everybody in the room over 30 years old, maybe you're a little discouraged this morning, depressed, feeling a little down. I'm telling you, as I thought about this, I think this is so, so huge in our lives. It's huge in my life. It's huge in my house. My wife, I said to Joan and I are going to be working through some of this. I bought a program we're going to go through online together on this. A big part of the, our problem is that we have no goals for our lives. You see, God has goals for your life. God didn't check out when you got a house and some kids. He still believes in you and what he can do in Goals are what motivate and inspire us. Without goals, it's easy to fall into depression. It's easy to say, why do I bother getting up in the morning? Now, 
I don't want to oversimplify it, but if you're feeling discouraged and depressed this morning, if you struggle with these things, can I encourage you to really think about, to push away the cynicism a little bit and say, you know what, maybe I could believe again. Maybe I could set some real goals for my life. And pursue them like crazy and see, what's ha- see what happens. You know, they did a study of Holocaust survivors, those that came out of the Nazi death camps. And what was the one thing, if they could attribute one factor to those who survived versus those who died, if there was one factor that they all shared in common, you know what it was? That they were living for something beyond the walls of that place. A person, a, a place, something they were looking forward to, to, something they wanted to do when they got out. They had a goal for their lives. It was that goal that carried them through. They were going to see her again or be with him again. Or they didn't. What does the scripture teach us? That allowed Jesus to endure the cross for the hope that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross for the hope, for the goal that he was going, what he was going to accomplish. He was going to sit down at the right hand of his father. He was going to wipe away the sins of man. Goals will keep you going and will give you purpose and a desire to live in the darkest of your days. I hope this one resonates with you. I, I, I have been thinking about this one all week. I really think if we would give ourselves to this, really give ourselves to, to, to godly goals and the pursuit of them, I really think it would lift your spirits like nothing you've ever done. Number five, goals build my endurance and my character. Anybody can drift through life. Anybody can sit on the couch and watch TV. I'm great at it. The pursuit of goals, big, God-sized dreams and goals. Man, I'm thinking about this for our church. I'm challenging our elders on this. I've got to be on the walls meeting on Tuesday. I'm going to challenge be on the walls people on Tuesday about this. The pursuit of big, God-sized dreams, working towards them, waiting on them, exercising effort and diligence and patience and prayer, That builds within us endurance and character. See, God is not necessarily interested in your specific goal as much as he is interested in what's going to happen in you as you pursue it. Because ultimately he's interested in your heart and your character. Maybe this is best seen by explaining something about your goals. And this this was true of my goals until I worked on this series this week. Not every goal that you are called to set for yourself is for your own benefit. Hear me on this, church. Not every goal God is calling you to set for yourself is for your own benefit. Godly is purely for your pleasure. Godly goals build character. Not all goals are pleasurable. This is seen nowhere better. This is devotion four where I'm going to ask you to think about this this week. Luke 9.51, talking about Jesus. This is what Luke wrote about Jesus. He said, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely, in other words, Jesus resolved. In other words, Jesus made a resolution. Jesus decided that I need to make a resolution to overcome the desires of my flesh. I'm going to make a resolution that I am going to head towards Jerusalem. One translation puts it like this. He set his face towards Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was Jesus' goal. Not because Jerusalem was going to bring him pleasure, or glory, or riches, or fame, but because it was going to bring him a cross. And he set his face towards it. He made a resolution to overcome what the fleshly desires. 
to move towards a place of pain and shame and degradation and ultimately death because his goal was not simply his own aggrandizement. It was not simply the building up of himself. It was to bring glory to his Father in heaven. It was to lay down his life for the life of others. His goal was you. What's your goal? Has it always just been simply about aggrandizing yourself? Bigger house, more money, prettier wife? Godly goals build character. So in one of the devotions this week, I'm going to ask you about your Jerusalems. Where are those places of pain that you need to go to? Last one, lastly this. Godly goals, godly goals bring reward. Proverbs says, if your goals are good, you'll be respected. You know this. Every person that has lived that you would ever look at and say, you know, I admire that person. We could sit here and list off famous people. Billy Graham, did Billy Graham have a goal? Martin Luther King, did Martin Luther King, we're about to have a holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King have a goal? Mother Teresa, did Mother Teresa have a goal? Goals, good goals, godly goals bring reward on this earth. People see them. People take notice of them. And most importantly, the world is changed by pursuers of godly goals. But more importantly, if it, that's great. Look, if you're looking for fame this morning, you should, if you're looking for a life that matters and counts and is significant, you should grab onto that one. You want a life that matters to people? Grab onto that one. But I'll give you another one for those of you that are interested in, in eternal things and the things of the kingdom. The truth is, it's not really recognition on this earth that we're looking for. But Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, all athletes practice strict control. They do it to win a prize, recognition in this world, that will fade away. But do you know why we do it? We do it for an eternal prize, so I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. We, church, set goals for eternal prizes for eternal life. For the words that so many of us want to hear that day when we enter the kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. God brings rewards to good goals, both earthly and eternally. Last thought for today. I know there's a lot in here. Next week we're going to start working on setting these goals. We're going to work specifically next week on setting spiritual goals for our health. Our uh, spiritual health goals. All goals are not good. I'm telling you to set some goals where you need to have God join you in them. As you begin this process, have some quiet time around these things this week. If you start to reflect on, do I have any goals for my life? Where did I check out when I got the house? As we begin to set goals, ask yourself these three questions about the goals you're setting. Number one, does this goal honor God? Does this goal honor God? Paul says we make it our goal to please him. Well, what pleases God? If our goal is to please him, according to the Bible, well, a contrite spirit, humility, love, gratitude, service. Well, the accomplishment of this goal bring glory to God and to the things that God is concerned over. Does it bless the meek and the broken and the marginalized? Does the accomplishment of this goal coincide with what he's asked of me in the scriptures? We're going to be talking about our physical health. God asks certain things of you in your physical health. And if I were, if you want to really test it, if I were to accomplish this, Dan, who God is rightly because you accomplished that goal, does that goal you're setting bring glory, accurate, right glory to God? Number two, 
Does love underlie the goal? Or is it merely self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, the building of my own kingdom? Does love underlie the goal? God does not bless selfish goals, arrogant goals, comparison-driven goals, jealousy-driven goals, greed-driven goals. God does not bless grudge or guilt-driven goals, goals motivated motivated by materialism or pride or ego. I just wiped off most of my goals. God honors goals undergirded by love. Paul says everything we do must be done in love. And the same is true of setting your goals. What's at the heart of this goal? This is important, right? Because if we don't get this right, in achieving our goals, people become means for us achieving our ends. We climb over people to achieve our goals. If people, if love undergirds our goals, we start to see people differently. Lastly, this, your goals should require some faith. If you're writing goals that you can accomplish all on your own, you're missing it. You're missing the secret component of transformation in your life. Your goals should require faith. It's God who can give you the resources you need then. When you need to rely on God, God can give you the resources you need to accomplish these goals. Specifically, there's three things you can write down there. Three things you need to reach those godly goals, those ones that are outside of your reach. Number one, you need God's spirit to empower you. What does the scripture say? Not by works, not by my effort, not by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not your best, not your power, God's best, God's power available to you. This is why so many of us set goals in January and we're washed out in February. We base them on our efforts and we, you know what, we're not that good. God's spirit to empower you to achieve these things. Number two, God's word to guide you. The truth is that unless you know the scriptures, at least at some rudimentary level, you are in danger of setting goals that God will never bless. He may have already told you in the word of God, this is not what my people do, and you might be setting up a campground of a goal right on top of it. So you need to make sure that your goals are in line with how God has already revealed himself. Good goals are undergirded by what God has already told us in the Bible. This is why I'm asking you to do some, some scripture memory this week. And number three, things needed to reach these goals, these goals that are beyond our reach, the places where we need God to join us. The third thing you need is you need community. You need God's people who meant to live outside of community. You should work on this with someone. Goals that are unspoken, goals that are unwritten, and goals that are unshared are goals that are unaccomplished. That's true, man. I, I've met a lot of goals. Goals that are unspoken, goals that are unwritten, goals that are unshared are goals that are going to be unaccomplished. Grab a friend, get somebody to cheer you on. Small group leaders, take some time in your small group. Work on it this week. Husbands, wives, girlfriends, Men's groups, work on this stuff. Share it with each other. Walk it. I'm not asking you to do it forever, just for seven weeks. Now, this is extremely practical stuff. I'd encourage you to invite people into this. Leave your book line on your desk at work. Let people say, what are you doing there? This is the kind of stuff that people that are, that are even kind of just checking God out would come in and go, I need this stuff. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. Here's my prayer. My people, I'm believing that God wants you to change. The truth is, if you give up, you're not... Listen to me. If you give up on transformation, you're not giving up on yourself. 
you're giving up on God. If you give up on transformation, you're not giving up on yourself. You're giving up on God. So take some time. Take 10 minutes this week, three or four times. Encourage each other. We're going to be, Tim and I are going to be working on putting some stuff on Facebook, maybe some, some teaching on Facebook. If you haven't liked the church on Facebook, go there because there's going to be some videos maybe that we're going to put out and all the rest. And just keep believing in change. Amen?